This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Dave Chappelle, right? Dave Chappelle is a comedian, and um, he is now um, a little controversial because he's made some remarks about um, transgender people and Jews, honestly, in the past um, that people have found offensive and criticized him for. And this created a big issue at Netflix because... Dave Chappelle uh, did this Netflix special where he made some critical things. He said some critical things, really told jokes about uh, transgender people. And then while he was doing his kind of performing uh, his uh, promotional tour for Saturday Night Live or, or for the Netflix special, one of the shows that he appeared on was Saturday Night Live. And he did the monologue, which uh, some people said was anti-Semitic in the way that he handled that. Now, keep in mind what was going on at the time. He... What what was going on is Kanye West was under fire on almost a daily basis for legitimately being anti-Semitic and, and doing things like praising Hitler and uh, dining with Nick Fuentes and, and all sorts. Of, every day was a different anti-Semitic thing that Kanye was doing. So that was in the that was the context by which Dave Chappelle was making these jokes. If they're black, then it's a gang. If they're Italian, it's a mob, but if they're Jewish, it's a coincidence, and you should never speak about it. <laughs> no one's y'all to get mad at me. I'm just telling you, I've been in Hollywood. It's a lot of Jews. But that doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? There's a lot of black people in Ferguson, Missouri. Doesn't mean we run the place. And I hope they don't take anything away from me, whoever they are. And then uh, one of the things that he said was basically that, um, uh, you know, he was saying to, to Kanye, that's how you do it, and apologized for any remarks that were considered anti-Semitic. Well, now, he uh, now has, he, he's standing by uh, his views on transgender issues in his latest Netflix special, while he's expanding his repertoire to make jokes about the disabled community. And a number of people in the disabled community are upset. Uh, We don't have the audio of the remarks that he's made about the disabled community, but he basically says, I love punching down. And despite his previous commitment to refrain from making jokes about transgender individuals, which I was unaware of, by the way, I didn't know he made that, but I guess he did. Chappelle revisits the topic within the first 12 minutes of his hour-long special, The Dreamer. If we can grab any of this audio, I'd love to get some of it. Uh, but his this is his seventh exclusive feature for Netflix, uh, which premiered on New Year's Eve. So, for instance, since we don't have the audio, I will do my best I'm not going to do a Dave Chappelle impersonation, but I'll read you what he said. If you guys came here to this show tonight thinking that I'm not, 
If you guys came here to the show tonight thinking that I'm going to make fun of those people again, you've come to the wrong show. I'm not effing with those people anymore. It wasn't worth the trouble. I ain't saying blank about trans people. Maybe three or four times tonight, but that's it. And then he fulfills his promise to include more members of marginalized communities and materials. He says, I got a whole new angle. You guys will never see this blank coming. I ain't doing trans jokes no more. You know what I'm going to do tonight? Tonight, I'm doing all handicap jokes. Well, they're not as organized as the gays, and I love punching down. In one instance, he recounts meeting the paraplegic North Carolina politician Madison Cawthorn. Then I just walked away. I wanted to see me do something he couldn't do. I skipped. Uh, and a lot of folks in the trans, in the, uh, trans community are upset. A lot of folks in the Jewish community are upset, and now a lot of folks in the disabled community are upset. And I look at the controversy here, and I just think, is uh, this is not a professor giving a collegiate lecture. This is not someone writing an op-ed for the New York Times. This is a comedian who has one goal, to make people laugh. My view is that sometimes comedy is offensive. Sometimes it's offensive. But the operative standard should be, is it funny? And there's a lot, I haven't seen the special so I can't judge, but there's a lot of people that find David Chappelle funny. I mean, it makes no sense to me why so many folks get worked up over the jokes a comedian makes. It's like they live to be offended. Since the dawn of time, I would venture since the cavemen, folks have probably been saying things that a lot of folks find offensive in order to make others laugh. Now, look, it's terrible if you're a member of the uh, disabled community and you're hurt by this. But I think... Uh, There's a lot of things that you could say about me that are not favorable. I'm short. I am um, of Italian descent. I am, you know, a a bit overweight. And I have laughed at jokes at the expense of all of those people before. I, I don't think people should get worked up over this. And I don't understand why they do, honestly. It's, um, it used to be you either watched a comedian and you laughed or you didn't. You didn't run to uh, start calls to boycott Netflix and to demand that he be fired and get articles written. So I, I just don't get it. I, I don't get it at all. So and then there are some trans jokes that the uh, article in the San Francisco Chronicle cr- chronicles as well. Uh, if you have a thought, I'd love to hear it. 800-848-9222. I think the most important thing to remember is they're jokes. You know, I remember my friend Curtis Lewa, he was roasted with his former co-host Ron Kuby. And um, Jeffrey Gurian produced this roast and he was the roast master. And uh, they did a few roasts and this was one. And basically, Jeffrey began the um, he began the ceremony by saying, "These are you know for anybody that's offended, this is an effing roast." What did you think you were walking into? If you at this point are familiar with Dave Chappelle, that you might want to watch his comedy special, you know that he's going to say things that irk people. 
black people, gay people, transgender people, in this case, disabled people. What's the big deal? I, I don't mean to sound callous to anyone that's offended by this, but the guy's a comedian. Chill out. 800-848-9222. Uh, 800-848-9222. You know, my wife was watching him the other day in a film that she watches every year called You've Got Mail. Uh, it's a romantic comedy. It's almost exactly like Sleepless in Seattle. And she loves this. She watches it all the time. I hadn't seen it in years. And I had forgotten that Dave Chappelle was in it. I said, is that is that Dave Chappelle? She said, yeah. I said, oh, you know, he's pretty good in this film. But there's this whole new class of fans that he has because he's not politically correct. And there's a whole other class of fans that maybe he's lost because of the anti-Jewish jokes, because of the anti-transgender jokes, and because of the, now, I guess, the anti-disabled jokes. I think people ought to um, chill out. That's my view. Curious what you think. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Let me say hi to JR in Brooklyn. Hello, JR. Hey, good morning, Frank. Listen, I watched that special. How is it? And it's it's pretty funny. It's not his uh, it's not his best in recent time, but it's still very funny. You're going to get a great show out of the man. He's hysterical and he makes great points throughout the entire show. But he really, really goes in hard on that. Uh, what, what is he, a senator? Uh, it was a congressman. He lost. Yeah. A congressman? Yeah, so he goes in really hard on that guy. But then at the end of the show, well, the end of the special anyway, they have a, a, a long photo montage. And there he is pictured with the same North Carolina congressman or whoever he is. So who, who, it's, it's really a little unfair to Chappelle when the jokes he are making right, right to this man's face and he goes hard on him. And yeah. then he's pictured at the end because he gets the joke. He's laughing in the well, crowd. That, that's the man what I was going to say. Is, you know, sometimes the people that laugh hardest at gay jokes are gay people. Sometimes the right, people that make the most uh, the, laugh the hardest at Jewish jokes are Jews. You know, so right. I, I, I don't. That's what I'm saying is. I don't know when this developed. You know, sometimes they call it a snowflake mentality. I hate that term, but I don't know when this mentality developed that everybody needs to go through life expecting to never hear anything offensive, especially if you're turning on a comedy special from a comedian who's made his whole living offending people. Right. That's like saying Aaron Judge hits baseballs too hard. Right. You know, why, why does he have to swing so hard? Can't he put it just one foot over the fence? Or does he have to put it 50 feet over the fence? Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a a fair point, JR. Thank you. 800-848-9222. I should have asked uh, JR to send us some of this audio since he's seen the special and we don't have any. Uh, Chris is in Yonkers. What do you think, Chris? How are you? Thanks for having me. Um, it's just that when we deal with this thought police stuff and people getting offended, uh, I think that the visible leaders in the black community or in the women's community or transgender, they don't, they don't help those groups because typically uh, they support abortion, which hurts blacks and women. Well, I, I mean, Chris, trans, I, I think, honestly, you're, you're talking about uh, apples and oranges. I mean, you're talking about I'm talking about the disabled community being offended you know, at a Dave Chappelle special, you're, you're, I think, talking about you're looking to expose hypocrisy wherever it comes. And in this case, abortion, I, I don't think that's analogous at all. I, I actually I don't I think it's 
uh, an absolutely absurd uh, comparison, to be honest. 800-848-9222. Tom is in New Jersey. Hi, Tom. Hello, sir. How you doing? I am uh, as I'm doing just peachy. Thank you. Uh, great. Listen, listen, I, I I'm a Vietnam era guy and I have friends who are disabled. They joke about the disability as a way to get over it. It's part it's part of what they do. It's like it's like black people using the N word. I mean, they use it as as a tool to, to to get around thinking about it all the time. I think Chappelle is is just. He, I think he's right on the money. I think I think I think he's he's got it right down pat. And and it's it's the way people get through this stuff. That's how we do it. You know, that's such a good point because uh, I think it was uh, David Hyde Pierce who had a relative, might have been his uh, mom, who talked about people that joke with Alzheimer's. He says there's only two types of people that make jokes about Alzheimer's. It's folks that have no idea what it's like to um, have someone you love degenerate because of Alzheimer's. And then there's folks that absolutely have to make jokes about Alzheimer's because that's the only way you're able to cope with a very sad situation. What an astute observation on your part, Tom. Well done. 800-848-9222. Corey in the Queens. Hello. Yes, I want to discuss this creep who thinks it's funny for the disabled. You don't know how the person got to be disabled. He could be a veteran. He could have been injured in war. There's such a thing as karma. We all have one foot in the grave and the other foot on a banana peel. He better watch his step. He can get into an accident and be crippled for life for the rest of his life. So, There's Corey, no humor in this. It's so, disgusting. So, but Corey, and I it, wish him to be crippled, too. Well, that's, that's what I wish him. That, that's, you know, while we're talking karma, that's an important important thing. I'm glad you're taking the high road in terms of karma, Corey. But um, if you don't find it funny, why not just not watch? Well, that's the answer. I'm just tuning in to you, and I hear this, and I hear about this person who I had never heard of before. Oh. And I would never, ever patronize him in any way. And as I say, he better watch his step, because he's in, he's in bad shape in the, in the world of karma. I, Corey, I completely disagree. I think the uh, kind of people that wish for others to become crippled, I think... Uh, look, who, what do I know about karma? I think those are the folks that are in uh, bad shape when it comes to when it comes to karma. I think literally wishing a physical disability on anyone else because you don't like the jokes they tell. I, I think it's incredibly unhealthy and bizarre, to be honest. 800-848-9222-800-848-9222. Joaquin is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Joaquin. Frank, my man, I gotta say something. Right, in the first place, I saw what you did. After talking about Barbie, you had to man yourself up by talking about football. You had to put yourself up a little bit there. Joaquin, you're an idiot. I don't know what to say. Again, I'm making, I'm breaking my New Year's resolution to be uh, kind to everybody. But if you want to talk about um, things that have been um, patronized by hundreds of millions of people. Two things that are very much on everybody's law, uh, minds are both Barbie and uh, and professional football. As uh, they might say, if you were on a debate team, Joaquin, I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. 
The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. She's just a girl and she's on fire. Hotter than a fantasy, lonely like a highway. She's living in a world and it's on fire. Filled with catastrophe, but she knows she can fly away. the hour that is uh, alicia keys uh singing about fire a uh, big shout out to our listeners at uh, talk 1400 wond in atlantic city and all over south jersey uh, i had a good time out there last weekend for my annual new year's eve eve bash so far we are ahead of the game because unlike the party that i threw last year or in you know 2022 technically where I thought nine people got COVID from the party that I threw. It turned out it was 11. I met two people that came back this year that said, uh, oh, yeah, I got COVID, and they didn't tell me about it last year. So uh, at least 11 people got COVID at this uh, bash that we threw last year. So it really was kind of a super spreader event. I don't know who patient zero was. It wasn't me. I didn't get it. My wife got it. But um, this year, so far, maybe it's a little soon, but so far I've gotten no reports that anyone got COVID or RSV or anything like that. So thank goodness. By the way, if anyone's posting photos uh, who attended the New Year's Eve Eve bash, uh, please use the hashtag NYEE2023. Thanks again to everybody that came out. Hey, speaking of Atlantic City, you know, we were talking about these uh, Jeffrey Epstein releases. Apparently... Jeffrey Epstein once suggested calling Donald Trump to organize a trip to a casino during an unscheduled trip to Atlantic City in New Jersey. So the former president, uh, Donald Trump, obviously, has distanced himself considerably from Epstein despite their friendship in the 90s. And he has said, Trump has said, that he's not a fan of Epstein's. However, these deposition documents detail how Joanna Schoberg, Schoberg described a planned trip to New York with Epstein, Jelaine Maxwell, and Virginia Dufre in 2001. Ms. Schoberg told lawyers the flight was later diverted to Atlantic City, New Jersey, prompting Epstein to suggest calling Mr. Trump. She said, as we were flying, 
why don't you go sit in the cockpit to check out the landing? So we were sitting there, and the pilots told me to go back and tell them that we can't land in New York and that we're going to have to land in Atlantic City. As Joe Berg added, Jeffrey said, great, we'll call up Trump and we'll go to, I don't recall the name of the casino, but we'll go to the casino. Uh, Trump and Epstein moved in the same social circles in the 80s and 90s, and in 2002, President Trump, then-Citizen Trump, told New York Magazine that uh, I've known Jeffrey for 15 years, terrific guy. So um, now, you know, since his first conviction for sex crimes, Trump has distanced himself a great deal, but at least one person recounted that story of... uh, a trip or a, to Atlantic City. Well, nothing, no big deal there. This is, I think, what you're going to see in most of these documents is a lot of these things coming out that are not a big deal at all. They're uh, totally innocuous. So, all right, 800 Let me say hello to Joel. What's on your mind, Joel? Hi, Frank. Uh, I just wanted to chime in a little more on Dave Chappelle and where he's coming from. In my opinion, he's doing he's doing a lot like other comedians are doing. He's refusing to take a look at the line, which the politically correct Wokies or whoever you want to call it, have moved from 10 years ago. And they used to laugh at it then. And they're not laughing at it now because they have to, you know, point out all these details that are built to offend because of all the victim classes that are out there, which they've built to create their own philosophy. There's a guy, Jim Jeffries, he also has a special on Netflix. I saw it several years ago, and he pointed out the exact same thing. And it's exactly where he's at. And yes, it is like semi-offensive here and there, and it could be downright offensive. But I think that a lot of things we laugh at, we cringe at a little bit, too. But it is funny in the long run. So I have to give them a pat on the back for really, in the long run, actually fighting against all this this ridiculous line of wokeism and politically correctism that we have in this nation. I think he's right on the right on the uh, fighting line, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, I agree, Joel, and and thanks for the call. I would say the same thing if he was making jokes about groups that I was a part of. I don't know if he does. You know, I don't watch enough of Chappelle to pay attention, but uh, I completely agree. Um, Chappelle, you know, I just got a in, mis- message here on Instagram, and you could message me on Instagram as well at uh, at Morano Vision, M O R A N O Vision. Uh, Aaron writes, Chappelle makes jokes about everyone. I think comedy becomes offensive when a comedian singles out a marginalized group. That's a good point. That's a good point. If you're making fun of everybody, as, say, Don Rickles used to, or um, who was the one, um, Lisa Lampanelli, the queen of mean, then everyone's kind of in on the joke. But if you're only making jokes that are exclusively offensive to black people or to Jews, I can see why that would rub some people the wrong way. But to your point, that's not what Chappelle is doing. Chappelle is, um, you know, he's making jokes about about everybody. 800-848-9222. Uh, Matt Blaze, you're with me on this, right? You, you don't uh, find anything offensive about what Chappelle's doing. 100%. Chappelle, my favorite comedian of all time, is Eddie Murphy. Chappelle is a very, very close second. All right. Well, yeah. I like don't that's know. how much I love Dave Chappelle, and I get it. I mean, it, 
It's jokes. If you can't laugh at these things that he's saying and you don't get it and you're offended, then it's like above you. It's, it's just going right over your head that it's a joke. Get over it. Right. Yeah, it's exactly. simple as that. Exactly. That's uh, that's pretty much exactly where uh, where I come down on these. Tony, you have a view on this? Look, it's just jokes. Everybody's in their feelings. I'm from the era of Richard Pryor and George Carlin. Right. Those guys they, offended everybody. Yeah, but it was just jokes. Yeah. Well, see, that's what my question is. When did it go from being okay to laugh at whatever you wanted to if you laugh at Dave Chappelle... You're an anti-Semite and anti-trans and anti-disabled person. When did that happen? When, like, what, what was the circumstance that led to that? That's that's a million-dollar question. Yeah. I, I think when everybody started getting politically correct, you know, every, now everybody's walking on eggshells. Yeah, that's for sure. Hey, um, you know, I mentioned Atlantic City a minute ago. On uh, New Year's Day, kind of a sad story, one man died after being fatally stabbed, not not a laughing matter at all, while another man was found bleeding to death near the boardwalk. Now, whenever I've mentioned Atlantic City before, people always say, oh, the crime, the crime, the crime. Well, you see stories like this and you think, okay, it's pretty bad. So um, they've been pretty concerned about public safety, and apparently they're going to implement a $5 million state finance program to install additional security cameras along the boardwalk. I guess that's um, that's probably for the best, because these recent deaths do follow a trend of increased major crimes last year compared to the previous year, including a rise in homicide. So uh, maybe the cameras are an incentive to keep people from assaulting others or maybe it'll help folks to keep you know how to catch the bad guys when they do commit something like that so it's not enough cameras to cover every inch of the 48 block city but the overwhelming majority of atlantic city will be covered once this project is completed so you know, you always picture Atlantic City as a, a place that you could get away with something if you need to. Well, apparently not anymore. There are going to be cameras everywhere. So, uh, but if people don't feel safe, you know, John Katzmatidis always makes this point about New York and New York tourists. If people don't feel safe, whether you're a tourist, whether you're a resident, whether you're a business owner, but especially a, a resort destination that's so heavily dependent on gamblers, you're just going to go elsewhere. Right. I mean, there's a million other places you can gamble. If you're worried about getting stabbed along the boardwalk, why would you go there? I kind of get that. The other thing that I'm interested to see what happens is what they end up doing with casino um, smoking, smoking casinos, because every year, practically, it seems like uh, we're told, OK, this is the year. This is the year that they're going to do something about um you know, they're going to do something about casino gambling or oh, excuse me, uh, smoking in casinos. Is anybody doing the uh, dry January thing? I am not doing the dry January, but I'm all for dry January. If you're not familiar with this, dry January is this concept. I don't know where it came from. I think it's about 10 years old. But it's this concept where you don't drink for the month of January. Where, you know, you go through Christmas, you go through all these Christmas holidays, you're drinking like crazy. And then uh, you certainly got New Year's Eve and then you go to a family party on New Year's Day. You're drinking basically for two months straight between Halloween to New Year's Day. You're drinking like crazy. So you feel like you give your liver a break. You give your organs a break. I give up booze along with everything else during Lent. 
which comes a little bit after January. So I, I figure, what am I going to give up booze in January and then give it up again when Ash Wednesday comes around? No, I mean, come on. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, a teetotaler here, right? Uh, but I think that um, if you don't give it up for alcohol, excuse, excuse me, for Lent, I think it's a great thing to give your liver a break and to give your organs a break, give your skin a break, give your pocketbook a break. Because if you are always going out to dinner and ordering even just two drinks with dinner once or twice a week, it really does add up. So I think it's uh, I think it's a good thing to you know, give yourself a break for a month. And you know what I, I like doing it during Lent, again, not dry, dry January, but why I like doing it is because it's kind of my way of proving to myself that I'm not an alcoholic. You, you know, you always hear these stories about people that go to AA meetings or struggle with addiction or substance abuse, and they always say, oh, it's just str- such a struggle one day at a time, one foot in front of the other. And, you know, when I just make the decision not to drink alcohol, you just don't drink it. You know, it's no, it's no struggle. You just say, all right, no thanks. I, um, and that's, that's kind of my own way of proving to myself that, you know, you could be a heavy drinker without being an alcoholic. You don't feel compelled. In fact, I'll be honest, I actually find it easier to uh, drink nothing than to drink in moderation. That's why I, I don't drink usually before a um, before you know a show or something like that, even if I'm at dinner, because you have this situation where you, you know, is one enough, is two enough, is three enough, and then before you know it, you've had ten. Well, not 10, but a lot. You get it. So my neighbor told um, my wife that she was doing damp January. My wife asked, what's what's damp January? And my neighbor tells her, oh, it's when you don't drink every day. And uh, I, she said, you drink every day? Well, yeah, normally. But during January, I'm not going to do dry January. I'm going to do damp January. So that was uh, that. Was that. Hey, um... You know, we broke the story. Well, I think we did break the story. We covered the story as it happened of that airplane in Japan. And what they said was, you know, very little loss of life, thankfully, when that uh, fiery airplane emerged on the uh, the airport runway. And only a couple of people died, thankfully. This could have been a disaster where hundreds of people died. Um, passengers who were evacuated from this burning Japan Airlines plane, and I want to mention this because this is something we could all benefit from. They said the absence of panic was what helped the emergency procedure the most. I love that because I almost always find that this, that the, not panicking, it makes everything better. Makes everything better. Sometimes it can actually feel better to panic, right? It's a critical situation. You're running around like crazy. It kind of feels feels good if you're going crazy and everyone else is going crazy. But that being able to take a breath and say, okay, we're 367 passengers on a plane that's on fire. Let's not panic. It really does help. And they say that there was a well-trained crew with a veteran pilot with 12,000 hours of uh, flight experience. But they said the, the absence of panic during the emergency procedure helped the most. Here's a quote from one of the passengers. Even though I heard screams, 
mostly people were calm and didn't stand up from their seats, but kept sitting and waiting. That's why I think we were able to escape smoothly. Can you imagine that? I mean, you talk about reinforcing a positive stereotype about the Japanese. Here they are on a plane that's literally in flames, and they're sitting there and waiting for instructions. Maybe the only passengers uh, that would be better behaved uh, on a flaming airline or a flaming airplane would be the Canadians. My goodness. I'll never forget, you know, the uh, when I was a radio producer, the second day of Imus in the Morning on two, in 2007, I was there to kind of ease the transition for this new show on a new radio station. And everything was going wrong. There was panic like crazy they were off the air there was dead air there was they were off the air for a half hour 40 minutes and i turned to bernard mcgurk the producer of this show and i'm not even producing that show nobody even knows i'm associated with it at the time i turned to bernie and i said bernie how can you just sit there you're so calm and he says he shrugs and says well honestly nothing i do right now is going to help the situation so i'm just going to remain calm And I never forgot that, that being calm in the face of adversity, it helps so often, but it doesn't always help the people that are panicking. You know, last weekend we rented this, we did a, we we did a, we rented a house in Atlantic City and we paid a lot of money for it, right? And the, our share, I think it's six bedrooms, but it was $375, right? It's a lot of money. So... My wife just came down for the second night. She was not at all happy that the lights in our bedroom weren't working. So she is going crazy that she has got to get dressed in the dark. So, I mean, I don't know what she's expecting me to do, but she says, call them, call them. I said, I I, I call the maintenance manager. I said, Louie, hi. The lights in our bedroom don't seem to work. And he said, yeah, the lights in one of the bedrooms don't work. I said, oh, okay. Is there a, a light bulb for one? Is there a light bulb that I can put in, or can you bring one? He says, um, no, I don't think so. I said, oh, okay. Thank you. All right, hang up. Now, he does come, but my wife is flipping out. She goes, not only am I upset that I have to get dressed in the dark, but the fact that you're not upset is making me more upset. I said, honey, what do you want me to do? So I think I would do very well on a flaming Japanese airplane because I've learned to roll with the punches. 800-848-9222. The lovely Lisa in Connecticut is here. Hello, Lisa. Well, I hope you're never on a flaming plane anywhere. (laughs) Uh, You and me both, Lisa. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. The nicest thing Um, anyone's ever said to me. I... I did have a situation one time I was on tour. I went down to uh, the Dominican Republic, right, to Putsakana. And after I did my gig, I went back, and um, me and my girlfriend that went with me, we go to the airport, and the whole entire airport went out to a blackout. Oh, jeez. So what did you do? (laughs) So what did I do? Um, And then actually... At the same time, the plane said that they wanted to go back to Miami because there was a missing part or something. And I said, wait, 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 hold on. So you, you, you get my personality a little bit. Like, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. 
<laughs> I'm like, I march right up to the people. I'm like, we're not going to take a layover in Miami because there's a missing part you need on the plane. I said, you're going to put us in the uh, back of the resorts that we were in, and we're going tomorrow. And then after that, boom, total blackout in the whole airport. So then after that, they had us uh, all going into, like, another, like, tunnel airway place to go to get to the, like, taxis that bring us to the resort and had everybody following me. Wow. My friend, my friend Jennifer, she's a PA, she came with me, and she was, like, freaking out. And I'm like, don't worry, Jen, we got this. She's like, I can't believe what's going on. <laughs> yeah, sometimes... Crazy things happen when you're on tour. That is for sure. My goodness. All right. Well, yeah, but yeah. I was going to ask you about this whole um, no drinking for January. I mean, I'm all for taking breaks and doing whatever. And you seem to have a good, you know, pulse on what you can do and what you can't do. And you have some self-control. But what is it that you like to drink particularly? Is there like a favorite drink of yours? Uh, you know, that's such a good question. It really depends on the season or the circumstance, and in some cases, the the place. Generally, as a rule of thumb, during the uh, warmer months, the summer and the spring, I will I stick with clear. I will do, uh, if I'm out at a bar, especially kind of a nice bar or a restaurant that knows how to make a drink well, I will go with a Bombay Sapphire uh, martini straight up with a twist. Wow. If, um, if I'm home... I'll do um, during the winter, the, the summer months. Generally, I'll do um, white wine, either you know regular white wine or sparkling uh, white wine. Once in a blue moon, you know, I'll do a blue moon, uh, or I'll have um, you know. Uh, uh, I tried to fight against it, but I have become a fan of all these. Hard seltzers, the white claws, and the uh, truly seltzers. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, but then yeah. during the during the right around now, the fall and the winter, I go dark. So I do uh, whiskey. I go bourbon yeah. or scotch, neat or a uh, red wine. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do neat scotch or whiskey. That's for sure. And then I like a little beer once in a while, and I like Cabernet Sauvignon pretty much, and a margarita. Well, I, you, you know, look, uh, whatever works, different strokes for different folks. And now, if I go someplace where they don't really know how to make drinks, then, and we did an interview uh, maybe about a year or two ago with an expert bartender, and he actually suggested this, and I've lived by this since then. If I go someplace where they don't know how to make drinks, I just get a Negroni because that's a, a pretty difficult drink to screw up. It's just equal parts huh. Campari, uh, gin, or and vermouth. And that's, you know, that's tough. I mean, even the worst bartender in, a, in the world can just pour. And that's all you have to do for a Negroni. So that's kind of, if, uh, if, if I'm not confident in the bartender's skills, I go with the Negroni. Interesting. And now after all of these, you know, 20 years of doing the nightlife, I have a two-drink maximum when I go out. Yeah, so well, hey, I, I, uh, I can understand that, Lisa. Lisa, thank you. You know, it's funny, speaking of those Negronis, they do sneak up on you. Uh, my friend John used to warn me about those. The, the Negronis, they just sneak up and you come out of nowhere. So, you know, there is a photograph you can see on my Facebook page of in the New Year's Eve Eve album of me asleep in a barn, okay? That is actually from December 29th, Going into December 30th because I met some friends and I had a couple of these Negronis and I and again, I was on no sleep and I fell asleep, you know, not at the bar, but, you know, in a very comfortable chair. 
and it's a revolving bar. So there's something very soothing about being in a room that is spinning slowly. It's it's really kind of neat. So anyway, I, I you know pass out there, and um, you know I go home, and I really don't remember the last twenty or thirty minutes of that excursion, which is terrible. But then I go back there the next night now with everybody, and this bartender that I don't even remember meeting the night before says to me. <laughs> Ah, uh, the Negronis. The Negronis. Apparently he was making them, so that was that. Uh, it, ironically enough, his colleague didn't know how to make a Negroni. Uh, so that was that. You know, Einstein giveth, Einstein taketh away. I, um, I Joe in Ronkonkoma just sent me a note asking about Carmine's second day in school. It went really well. Um, he didn't seem upset at all. I was saw some of the pictures. He looked like he was having a great time. And he didn't eat much of his lunch. That was the only thing that I think was deficient. But they um, they sang songs and uh, a lot of songs that he was already familiar with, like Old MacDonald. And he seemed to like it. I didn't get any complaints from him or or you know any anything but positive reports. So I think it went really well. I think we're in a rhythm. I think the difficulty is now he his schedule needs adjusting because he used to fall asleep. He used to take a nap. Between 12 and 1230. Now he's not getting out of school until one. So he's in a mood, right? He's in, he's moody and tired by the time that he gets home. Yesterday afternoon, for instance, the guy was just exhausted. He was cranky. My wife put him down for a nap. He didn't stay asleep for more than 45 minutes. And then he got up and he was just cranky. He wanted, didn't want to do anything. Just wanted my wife to hold him. He was he was just ornery. So that's been the challenge so far is getting him to adjust to this new um, schedule that he's on. And he will. And he will. I, I think that's very common. But he seems to like it. Seems to like it. And so far all the pictures we've seen. I've posted a couple. My wife's posted a few. He seems to really be enjoying it. Okay. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side at Midnight with Frank Morano. I used to bite my tongue and hold my breath. Scared to rock the boat and make a mess. So I said quietly, agreed politely. I guess that I forgot I had a choice. I let you push me past the breaking point. The Eye of the Tiger. Eight minutes until the top of the hour. If you think you are not going to live a long time, you're right. In the least surprising study that I have seen in quite some time, people who worry excessively about their health tend to die earlier 
than those who don't. This is according to a recent study from Sweden. It seems strange that hypochondriacs, who by definition worry, yet have nothing wrong with them, should enjoy shorter lifespans than the rest of us, but that is apparently the case. So this term, hypochondriac, is, um, you know, it, it is sort of a pejorative term, but medical professionals, they use the term illness anxiety disorder. I'm sure Dave Chappelle is sticking with hypochondriac. So uh, they they use whatever you want to call it, illness, anxiety disorder, or hypochondriac, and they found that people that worry excessively about health, they do die sooner. I have to tell you, I totally believe this. First of all, it's a very real study. They tracked around 42,000 people, a 1,000 of whom had um, illness, anxiety disorder over two decades. During that period... People with the disorder had an increased risk of death. On average, worriers died, you ready for this? Five years younger than those who worried less. Furthermore, the risk of death was increased from both natural and unnatural causes. Now, we don't know why, but they think that perhaps people with this illness-anxiety disorder have something wrong with them after all. Maybe they're not so paranoid. So... I thought that was interesting. I buy it. You know why? Because I find that when you're stressing out over stuff, anything, it takes a toll on your physical health. I really do think that's the case. 800-848-9222. Gary is calling from the Granite State of New Hampshire. Hello, Gary. Every time you talk about your little one, I have to call, and I'm not a father. I'm 60 years old, and I don't want to be a father. I love kids. I hung out with my five nieces and nephews all through the years. How old is your little boy? Four? He's two. Oh, two. Okay. I don't know if he's old enough, but uh, I just figured I'd throw it at you. If maybe you haven't even thought about it, but if you want to wear him out a little bit, uh, I'm sure they allow two-year-olds. How about a little trampoline park? Well, he loves trampolines, and we, we go to this indoor playground that has a trampoline, which he really likes, and he really enjoys it. You know what the problem is? Is when he hasn't napped and he stays up too long, he almost becomes overtired, and then he just he gets cranky, and getting cranky, and he cries, and that, that crankiness keeps him from falling asleep. I don't think the problem is that he's not tired. I think in some respects the problem is that he's too tired and the tired is leading the being tired is leading to crankiness if that makes sense. Personal question, is that your only child you have? Uh the only that I'm aware of, yes. Okay, very good. My question is still is are you are going to be having more children in the future? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. I think so. Okay. The only reason I ask is this I was scared to death all through the years of having children, uh, because thinking of my wife, thinking of my kids, I don't care if I was a millionaire, it would absolutely drive me crazy, and I would be absolutely miserable. The only thing I have on my mind is a steak and cheese, a Diet Coke, a Three Stooges, <laughs> ACDC, and kids. Thank you. Thank you, Gary. I'm not going to have you babysit my child, because if, uh, if I did, that would scare you straight and make sure you don't have children ever. I'm just joking. He's actually pretty delightful. But anyway... Um, I know a lot of people do the New Year's resolution to eat healthier. Well, listen to this. In France, two chefs, a cheesemonger, and a YouTuber in Lyon prepared for five months, five months, to craft a pizza 
I, I would love to try this. I mean, I can't imagine how terrible it smells, but listen to this. This pizza was topped with 1,001 different types of cheese. This was baked last week in front of Guinness World Record judges. This monstrosity, and you could pull up photos online, it looks more like a top hat than a pizza. But, I mean, if you're a cheese lover as I am, how do you not at least try it? I bet you it's delicious. Delicious. 800-848-9222. Alice is in Ohio. Hello, Alice. Hi. Uh, I'm just uh, a great show, as usual. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. I'm calling about the Japan Airlines flight crew. I, I flew for Pan Am. And every six months we had, well, part of your initial training is ditching over the water and over land. And the standard, it's still the standard, everyone out in 90 seconds. You know exactly where you're supposed to be on that particular aircraft. The training is real. Over the water, uh, there's a simu- uh, the simulator uh, is moving like, it, like uh, you're in rough seas. Uh, if, it's, uh, if there's a fire on board, it's real smoke. You're not told, well, imagine it's smoke. Sure. It's real. And it's almost muscle mem- memory. So I credit the flight attendants. And you maintain, you maintain calm. Everyone knows where they're supposed to be, and you're getting everyone out to that chute. Go, go, go. Did you ever have a real-life um, incident where you needed to evacuate the airplane? No, thank God. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, well, so yeah. that's one of the things, as I mentioned, at least the people involved in analyzing this, they're crediting a very experienced flight crew with being right. a, a part of the equation here. So I I, uh, I definitely buy that. I think that really does make a, a huge difference. Hey, Alice, thank you. Thanks for the call and uh, your perspective. All right. <clears throat> um, still a lot more to get to, and we will. You want to email me, you can do so. Frank.Morano at RedAppleAudioNetworks.com. Frank.M-O-R-A-N-O at RedAppleAudioNetworks.com. And in the words of the great Robert Ciro Giganti, your influence counts. Use it.